Don't be fooled during this monologue when I call this episode number 17. We're actually on episode number 16 with Zach Brunner. That's 1616, not 17. Apologies for the mistake. And now let's take you into this amazing episode with Zach Brunner and myself. Hello and welcome to episode number 17 of the Ball and Chain podcast. Uh, I am your host, Mark Thomas, and I am finally coming to you from sunny LA. Uh, you've heard me complaining uh, a lot about where San Francisco was at the last couple of months and my imminent move uh, down here. And uh, this, uh, this podcast is our first ever one that's being recorded from uh, beautiful Los Angeles. Uh, I've got a view of the North Hollywood Hills here from our WeWork office uh, that is in West Hollywood. And we are super excited to be down here. One of our uh, chief product officers and um, myself are here. And the rest of our team is still distributed uh, at Zen Sports, uh, but I think they're going to uh, want to come and check out our office pretty soon because it's, uh, it's, it's really awesome. So uh, San Francisco, hopefully, will uh, kind of get their act together. It was becoming a ghost town uh, with everyone leaving during COVID and other uh, reasons. And so, like I said, we're excited to be down here in West Hollywood in uh, the L.A. area. Still dealing with some microphone issues, but everyone is uh, kind of in that same boat, I think. So we are just going to rock and roll. Uh, here with Zencaster, and uh, hopefully the sound quality is excellent. So lots going on since we did our last episode. So uh, in addition to the move from San Francisco to LA, so we uh, specifically at Zen Sports have been uh, focused on uh, working on our US-based gaming license application. So we are uh, imminently expanding into the United States uh, for our peer-to-peer sports betting product, which is Super exciting. Uh, up to this point, we've been entirely international. Uh, so we hope to be securing some of those licenses soon. Um, and then uh, recently, we beefed up and improved our uh, daily fantasy sports features within Zen Sports. <clears throat> Cleaned up a lot of the features uh, for our NFL daily fantasy sports contest that we have going on. We currently are still just doing NFL daily fantasy sports, but we will be probably adding uh, other sports as they come back on in the near future, like baseball and basketball and so forth. Uh, so that's that's going well, really ramping that up. And uh, we've got three diabolical esports tournaments coming later this month through the Zen Sports app, through the tournament software and uh, streaming uh, and uh, tournament management features that we have. So super uh, excited for that as well. And uh, I think one of the things just to kind of touch on uh, since we did the last episode is just what's going on in the sports world, which is uh, the NFL is really kind of at the midway point of the season now. Um, somehow my Packers lost at home to the Vikings, uh, exposing their horrid run defense, uh, which is uh, pretty putrid to say the least. Um, baseball World Series wrapped up. I I didn't tune into a lot of those uh, games, even though I'm a tired baseball fan, just because I just really wasn't sold on the 60-game season. Now, I do believe that the Dodgers are legitimate champions because – um, the two best teams were in the World Series, uh, but it was just tough. I, did, I didn't have the ebb and flow of the season to really follow in, uh, follow along with and um, and get into. And uh, I did watch the two Brewers playoffs games and they got quickly eliminated by the Dodgers. So uh, I think it'll be better once baseball comes back for full season next year. Hopefully the NBA is going to kick off again in January with a 70 game season. I think that's how long the NBA season should be in general anyways. Um, and so that looks like that'll come back uh 
probably yeah, mid-January or so, uh, or maybe shortly after the new year. Hockey, same thing. Obviously, we've got international soccer going. We've got uh, tennis still going uh, strong. And, of course, other sports like MMA and esports. So uh, that's a pretty good wrap-up of everything that's been going on. And, of course, the Ball & Chain podcast is brought to you by Zen Sports. So thus our early plug here in the monologue. So uh, without further ado, I'd love to welcome our guest for today's episode is Zach Brunner, who is uh, doing a lot of things. He works for Osimo, uh, Minute Media, Flurry Sports, and he's going to be talking today about all things fantasy sports and sports betting. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Zach. Uh, hey, Mark, and thanks for having me on. And yeah, he said a pretty... Pretty well there. I am doing a lot of stuff right now, but uh, I mean, simply I'm enjoying it. I love football season, so I'm happy to be doing nothing but football from a fantasy point of view, betting and everything right now. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, I think this would probably be a good time to let our listeners know, because most of our listeners know I'm originally from Wisconsin, that you are also from Wisconsin. So uh, are you currently in Wisconsin right now? Uh, did you grow up there? Uh, do you follow all the Wisconsin sports teams like I do? We'd love to just know more about your, you know, your upbringing, uh, you know, back in Wisconsin and what that looks like. Yep, I'm in Wisconsin right now, born and raised over on the other side of the state from where you were born. I'm in Eau Claire, so I uh, yeah, die hard everything Wisconsin sports, Bucks, Packers, definitely the Badgers. So. Uh, excited that we have some good teams right now. Also disappointed from last week's loss to the Vikings. Uh, there hasn't been a loss that hurt worse than that one, I think, in a while. It's never fun to lose to the Vikings anyways, but just to see an obvious weakness exposed in the exact same way as, you know, last offseason or postseason, rather, it, it just hurts quite a bit. Well, it really hurt for me because I went to that NFC Championship game in San Francisco uh, <laughs> and I still live there. And uh, to see Mustard run all over us in the NFC Championship game and basically to have completely unaddressed any of the uh, linebacker issues that really, in my opinion, was the root cause of the issue. I mean, they let Martinez go uh, and he was pretty woeful on the Giants when I watched the Monday night game this past uh, Monday against the Buccaneers. Uh, as he's always been. So that was a good move, I guess, uh, addition by subtraction. But they didn't draft, you know, really anybody uh, to, uh, in my opinion, address the problem or, or sign anybody in free agency. And so while everyone's beaten on the drum to trade for a wide receiver, and yes, I agree, they do need to get uh, Roger some additional help, especially until Lazard comes back. It's really frustrating because I, it was the um, clear and obvious weakness or link was the linebacking situation. And I, I mean... You know, sure enough, they get a, a great, you know, running back in, in Delvin Cook, and he runs for four touchdowns, which is the first time ever, I believe, the first time ever, or the first time in like 50 or 60 years that an opposing team running back ran for four touchdowns against the Packers at Lambeau. Uh, so what are your thoughts on like the way the offseason went for the Packers, how they addressed their weaknesses, and, and what are you thinking for them specifically for the rest of the season? Well, I mean, to your point, I don't think they did address a weakness. It's very clear that they were looking forward and sort of preparing their team and playing for the future, whereas the way their uh, roster, where the cap is currently situated, 
there really isn't a future. You're paying your studs right now, so you should be competing right now. Uh, you know, bringing in a future at a quarterback, future at the running back, future at pretty much every other position. Um, you know, you would think that the contract and the cap and everything looks better in a couple of years, but it really doesn't. You have Rodgers, you know, uh, there's only a few years left of his contract and really left of his prime. You have the left tackle that is up this year. We have a bunch of defensive players that are up in three years. So it just doesn't really make much sense to say, hey, we are kind of writing off this season. Uh, we just made it to the NFC Championship, and we didn't draft one player who was expected to start for us. Um, and we didn't do anything in free agency either. I mean, we knew wide receiver was a big issue in the way we decided to address that was with signing Devin Bunches. It obviously looks much, much worse when Devin Bunches doesn't even play. He opts out, which you can't blame right. him for that. And I suppose the front office couldn't project that by any means, but still disappointing. And obviously there's opportunities to trade or sign free agent guys, and we couldn't do that. But yeah, coming up on the trade deadline here, uh, yesterday, I guess, as of recording, it's clear the defense is the weakness of the Packers. The reason why I was pushing for wide receiver over someone on the defense was I just don't think trading or bringing in one player for the defense would do anything. I think there's way too many holes, and schematically, I don't think they can do it. So could bringing in one wide receiver really make this offense prolific and good enough to win a Super Bowl? I think, yes, that could have been the case. And that has been the case with pretty much Aaron Rodgers' entire tenure, except for that Super Bowl run. Obviously, we had Charles Woodson and everything like that. But, yeah, that was yeah. the only reason why so, I was I pushing mean, for an offensive player. I mean, keep in mind, Lazard and uh, Williams, uh, you know, didn't play this last weekend. And, uh, I'm sorry, Aaron Jones. And, and so, you know... We got to keep in mind that you know two of the top three best offensive players, um, you know, were I guess uh, I guess Count Rogers. So two of the two of the top four um, were not playing. Uh, so that actually impacts you know things a lot too. I I think the reason for getting another wide receiver is really more for depth. I think if it's I think if it's Adams and Lazard as your one two and Aaron Jones is healthy, I actually think that is a super and obviously your quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. That that is a super Bowl, super Bowl caliber offense, especially since their offensive line is so good. It's just it gives you no wiggle room in case there's injuries, as we're seeing. Right? That's really I think the problem with not having that third great wide receiver. I mean, they were looking to trade for Fuller. They didn't pull the trigger on it because they couldn't agree to terms with the Texans. Uh, that's just silly. Makes no sense. Who cares if you're giving up a second or a third? That I mean, what is that person going to do for you anyways uh, next year? And so, yeah, they should have just pulled the trigger on that. But it, it, I. I they now have no margin for error on the injury side. Mm -hmm. If literally everybody is healthy uh, into the playoffs and then, you know, uh, all the way through the playoffs, um, I actually think the offensive side is fine. Then what to do on the defensive side? I think their corners are good enough that you can bring another guy into the box, just play basically eight in the box. And I think their corners are good enough to put them on an island with even the best wide receivers in the league. That has to be the strategy and scheme going forward. Unless the opposing team's running back is atrocious. But moving forward, just 
sell out on the run. Just sell out on the run and let your corners do their thing. I think I think that's actually good enough. I think that would work. Um, of course, teams could try to spread them out and try and you know expose something that way. But I I think that has to be the strategy moving forward. Um, otherwise, I think they're just going to continue to get gashed. And so I don't know if Petten's willing to do that because I'm not a Petten fan. I think he's I think he they're not going to do anything midseason, but they probably should. Uh, but that is that is annoying. Uh, it's annoying, and I'm more of a Petten fan than most people are, I suppose. But the his his scheme only works when you do have good coverage guys, and the Packers don't, in my opinion. So I suppose that's where Penn and I would disagree with you. Uh, Jair Alexander, I think there's no... You don't think Jair Alexander and, and he, Kevin King are elite? Jair Alexander is the best man-to-man corner in the league. Kevin King last year was the worst corner in the entire league. And I think this year he also... Yeah, but he was probably hurt, though, too. Who? You don't think it was due to injuries? You don't think Kevin King was it was really due to injuries? Last year, no. He was running the opposite direction. He he's atrocious. He there's zero chance he gets re-signed. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah, I guess I guess he does need help. He he has flashes though where he plays really, really well. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I suppose you can make I suppose you can make that argument. It's just, you know, the secondary just doesn't seem like the problem. It doesn't feel like we give up a lot of points through the air in terms of getting burned on deep plays or anything like that. It just feels like we get gashed up and down the field for five or six yards a pop every time the other team t- tries to run. Um, so, but anyways, uh, yeah. And uh, so, okay, we'll move on to one other Wisconsin sport and then we'll, uh, then we'll, uh, then we'll move on to talk sports betting here. So I think, uh, I want to talk about the bucks. I think that, I think that Giannis resigns uh, a long-term deal with the Bucks at some point mid-season, even if you know we're not obviously at the playoffs yet. It might only be a two-year deal because he wants to see how things go. I don't think resigning will next year will depend on them making the finals or winning the finals. I think he loves playing and living in Milwaukee that much. And he wants to bring a title to that franchise that much that as long as the Bucks are trying to win, which they clearly are, I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're trying to make moves to do it, um, that he will at, le- at, a, at the very least sign a two-year deal. Um, maybe he might even sign longer than that. What are your thoughts on that? I would lean towards agreeing. Um, I, I completely agree that I do think it's going to be a midseason deal. If they don't get him midseason, I think that's where trouble could occur, I suppose, if he does, you know, get to a point where he can, you know, really take a step back and evaluate his options and listen to everybody and all the suitors, I suppose. That's where there Mm -hmm. could be an issue, but completely agree. I think he loves living in Milwaukee. Obviously, he has a brother on a team. He has a brother in high school in Milwaukee. Uh, they were they the city's been unbelievable for him, and he also just doesn't feel like a you know Milwaukee's a big city, but he doesn't feel like a huge big market guy. He's more of a humble, almost a blue collar type of player. I, I think he does resign, but Bucks need to take steps towards improving. I think, which I do think they will, but they can't regress. They can't start the season looking like they did down in Orlando. 
Yeah, which brings the question is, what do they do to make that happen? Do they trade for Chris Paul um, or do they, uh, you know, try to do something, you know, um, I don't know, kind of like, like piece a couple, cobble together a couple different pieces, right, uh, that could do it. I think they tried that this last year with Korver uh, and that just didn't work out. Um, and I think the, I think the right move is to try and be aggressive and get somebody like Chris Paul. I think they are a Chris Paul move away. Um, uh, what's this guy's name on the Kings? Dragon uh, could be another option as well, too. So I think if they make a play for one of those two, I think that's enough to, to make Giannis resign. Um, if they don't make those moves, I don't know if there's anything in the middle of the season. like win, And they could win 75 games. I don't think that'll change anything. And, it, and actually, that brings up the last point I want to make before we move on to sports betting talk. From my perspective, the regular season for the Bucks next year should only be looked at from a pure entertainment perspective. Because I don't, I don't want to hear about how they're going to win 70 games. I don't want to hear how they have the best point differential uh, or the best, you know, they're one of the most elite teams in the regular season. That nonsense just, in my opinion, means nothing now after what happened in the playoffs this last year or really the last two years. It just is ir- – I don't care about the number one seed – uh, if they get it, it's nice, but I- I'm only going to watch the regular season from an entertainment purpose perspective. Uh, they have to show it to me and prove it to me in the playoffs. They have to at least get to the finals, but really they need to, they need to try and, I mean, they need, they, they need to win the finals. I mean, you've got the back-to-back MVP. You need, you need to go all the way. So what are your thoughts on, on that, that the regular season for them uh, compared to say other teams is just really pretty irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, clearly it's, they need to perform when it actually matters. Uh, no one remembers who was the regular season champion. No one really remembers who was the number one seed heading into the playoffs. So, yeah, they need to figure it out and put it together when it's a best of seven series and you play the same opponent over and over and you actually have to make adjustments and scout. Clearly not their strong suit. It would have been interesting to see you know, how they would have fared without months and months of a break. I think the bubble yeah. or not the bubble, but the pandemic hurt them worse than any other team just because they did have such a rhythm going. They were dominating, just completely dominating teams. And, you know, you cut them off and you can't see each other and you can't practice. You have to get that rhythm back and clearly didn't look like they had any sort of rhythm or chemistry down in that bubble. Yeah, and I would also say they were probably the most hurt by not having home court throughout the playoffs for two reasons. One, um, they just have a good home court advantage. Uh, and two, Miami was actually, of all the playoffs team, they were the worst team on the road um, in the regular season. And by them not having to go on the road and play anybody, that was a huge help to them, uh, which obviously then hurt the Bucks when the Bucks had to play them. So I do think they make the finals without um the bubble or the pandemic happening then the question then becomes would they have won it all um and that's a 50 50 in my opinion so i do agree with that to a lot of to a lot of uh to a big degree um but at the same time you gotta also kind of just suck it up it didn't it didn't affect the lakers right you got you gotta you can't ultimately at the end of the day use it as an excuse it 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 is an excuse but you can't you just can't use it as one so yeah that's that's awesome um so for those of you from wisconsin listening to this pod 
Um, you just got a bonus coverage of uh, Wisconsin sports analysis. For those of you not Wisconsin, uh, sorry. Uh, hopefully you press the fast forward button and uh, you're now ready to get into some daily fantasy sports and sports betting uh, talk. Okay, so a couple things here. So first, would love to hear you uh, walk everyone through you know, where you're working. You're working at a couple different places doing a few different things. Um, you know, what your roles and responsibilities entail. So you got Osemo, Minute Media, Flurry Sports. Uh, what is What are your roles there? What do the companies do? Um, and then we'll kind of go dive into those a little bit deeper, uh, specifically on the sports betting side. But just for our audience sake, like, tell us all who you are and what your companies do. And uh, we'd love to know more about you, Zach. Sure. So we'll start with Flurry Sports. That's my company. I have a team of writers underneath me. And we're pretty much covering whatever uh, we like to branch out and cover. I, I tell my writers to cover what they're most passionate in just because I think that, you know, it develops the best content. We take a lot of pride in having high quality content, not just fluff pieces to get clicks. So at Flurry Sports, I pretty much do everything. I write, I edit, I do the marketing for that. At Osmo, Osmo is one of the biggest uh, DFS uh, content, I guess, companies out there. And they do projections and, you know, the tools to help you build the lineups for the DraftKings, FanDuel, stuff like that. At Osmo, I am one of the analysts. So you can see me on their podcast. Sometimes you can see me writing uh, all the time, either for DFS or they did just launch betting. So I do a lot of the NFL betting stuff there as well for Minute Media. Minute Media's uh, parent company of The Duel, which is partnership with FanDuel. I am a writer there covering uh, mostly fantasy and betting stuff. Uh, every once in a while, some buzzworthy pieces that they have me write, but I'm just a content writer there. And then on top of that, you can see me at Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. Betting Pros is the betting uh, sister company of Fantasy Pros. And there I'm an expert ranker. I do picks at Betting Pros and uh, writing uh, articles for both sites as well. That's interesting. So let me ask you a question on that. Do you consider yourself like a member of the sports media, given what you just talked about? Or do you consider yourself more... Um, kind of on the content side, like media, when I say media, sports media side, I mean reporting on like, you know, news type of thing, or do you consider yourself more providing like helpful educational content uh, as a content writer? Uh, I think I walk the border depending on different things. The only time I believe I am part of the sports media would be with Flurry Sports. I do coverage of certain games there and I've gone to games to cover it been in the press room stuff like that and we do have some uh how, how would i want to explain it some insider stuff just because i do know members of the packers organization some players and staff members so every once in a while we get some of that breaking news or insider tips so at that point i think i am sports media but when i am talking betting or fantasy which is the majority of what i do i would say it's more so uh, a supplement or a complement to traditional sports media 
Got it. Got it. Do you, I mean, obviously I would assume that you have to make it very clear, like you're um, not providing like insider information, right? Like if you get wind, wind of an injury before maybe the public does on any kinds of things, you know, you have to really kind of separate the two out um, in terms of, you know, what that looks like. Um, so I, I would assume, you know, you're kind of the uh, giving full disclosure to people, hey, you know, I, I do this reporting thing over here, um, but that's not impacting my, you know, sports betting analysis over here on the other side. I think they blur, well, not necessarily blur, but they cross paths. I do, you know, full disclosure whenever there is something that, hey, Aaron Jones is fully healthy, but he might not play this week type of thing, which is true. Uh, Aaron Jones is healthy, but, you know, there's a business side of sports and Packers know his contract's up, so they want some leverage. So he may not play this week. Uh, right. That's just, you know, it impacts fantasy and betting, but I have to, for sure, uh, be responsible with that information and have it come back to me if for some reason I was wrong or something like that. So you actually look at yourself, you do actually look at yourself from a reporter perspective on some of those types of newsworthy items. Um, and then when you go into, you know, kind of sports betting analysis mode, um, you may take some of that information and disseminate it, you know, across, um, but you're not doing it like with the, with the sole purpose of, um, you know, okay, now I'm going to give everyone an insider edge as to what's going on in the locker room from a sports betting perspective. It's just, you've got two separate kind of roles. And they cross paths because they just naturally have to, but you're not doing it either one of them with the purpose of of looking at uh, each other, correct? Correct. Yep. I'm not trying to be the breaking news guy or anything like that. I leave that to the Adam Schefters and Ian Rappaports right. of the world. Definitely not anything right. I'm capable of or wanting to do. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So one of the things I want to talk about on the fantasy sports betting side, so I've always been a sports betting person, just recently got into fantasy, I'd say in the last um, year or so, um, as we've added sports, uh, fantasy sports features into Zen Sports. One thing I just, you know, obviously fantasy sports has been around for a very long time and, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel have been around for what, eight, nine years. And, um, you know, they've, they've carved out exemptions for themselves, uh, specifically in the United States from a legal perspective. Um, because most states have legalized daily fantasy sports, but only about 22 or so have legalized sports betting. And obviously, the sports betting legalization has only happened in the last two and a half years, whereas DFS has been around for eight, nine, ten years. So one of the things I've always, because I have a viewpoint on what I'm about to ask, but I, I want to ask you before I kind of give you what I think. I want to ask you, like, why do you think it is that the legal, uh, uh, we'll just call them, legislatures uh, or lawmakers, why have they for a long time said, yep, daily fantasy is totally fine. And over here in the opposite of the spectrum, traditional sports betting is not. When in reality, doesn't it feel like it's just the same thing? You're still putting up your own money, wagering it on an event that is not of you playing yourself. So it's not skill-based and um, it's dependent on the outcome of others. It's just, it's just a different kind of betting, right? One is creating a lineup the other is just saying someone's going to win by such, such and such points or score such and such points, whatever it might be from a sports betting perspective. Uh, I, I don't have a strong opinion. I do think it has to just be the stigma of gambling, sports betting, stuff like that. It's more traditionally tied to the casinos and stuff like that. So, or, or, or you know, just 
the old school having your bookie call to Vegas and stuff like that. They're taking their money. It, it's just more so the stigma of what it used to be, I suppose. Whereas DFS is, you know, tied. It, it was sort of a branch off from season long fantasy. And that started as uh, innocent and just doing it with your families on Sundays and stuff like that. In reality, I mean, March Madness pools are betting as well. And right. certainly certainly not viewed that way, usually. Yeah, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. And that's, for the most part, where I was going to go with that as well, too. That would be my answer to my own question, which is, you know, I think that it really is just purely a historical thing, right? So sports betting has always had... Uh, like mafia ties from way back in the 40s and 50s or even earlier than that, which is where the Wire Act came about from a federal law perspective, which is then eventually where uh, the UIGEA, now UGEA, uh, eventually came about um, in terms of like the Unlawful Internet uh, Gambling Enforcement Act. Um, and then obviously PASPA, which recently got struck down by the Supreme Court. Whereas daily fantasy sports has only been around for what? I mean, fantasy sports has been around for about 30 years, but daily fantasy has only been around for about, what, 8, 9, 10. And so I think it's just, you know, you're right, the stigma of just sports betting has had this long and kind of sordid history, even though there really is no difference. <laughs> just, you're, you're, yes, you're picking a lineup of players when it comes to fantasy. And again, you're picking teams or players when it comes to sports betting. Um, but I found it to be as we got into Zen Sports, uh, as we got into sports betting with Zen Sports back in May of 2018, and I started having to get really familiar with all the laws and legalities and regulations, I just couldn't believe it. I just, I, I just was shaking my head. I'm like, why would this be fine and this not? Now, I think there's also something to the, the lobbying, you know, right, that, the, that the, some of the daily fantasy sports companies like DraftKings and FanDuel, they were able to successfully just say, hey, give us this carve-out exemption, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is essentially what happened too. But I think, you know, from a, a viewer's perspective, um, you know, or excuse me, a listener's perspective to this pod, as well as, you know, just in general, those that are into sports betting or daily fantasy sports, I think they would just ask the same question. It was like, well, why can I do this, but I can't do that? Um, so, yeah, I think it's, uh, I would agree with you. I think it's more of a stigma thing. And so, you know, I, you know kind of to, to dovetail into, you know, actually, you know, uh, wagering on daily fantasy sports. So you know, setting up a lineup of players and saying, hey, this is who's going to score, I think, I think is a lot of fun. Um, but why can't, you know, why can't it also be maybe some other things too? Like, hey, I just think uh, Aaron Jones is going to score 25 touchdowns. I'm just kind of curious, like, what your thoughts on 25 touchdowns in the year, uh, 10 touchdowns in the year, um, or uh, he's going to run for 125 yards this game. Um, is, do you feel like there's any delineation between, like, I guess maybe player prop bets and daily fantasy sports? Um, and, and if so, like, what do you feel that those are? And if not, like, do you think that those two are going to kind of eventually converge into like one type of betting over time? I think they'll definitely converge. And I think we are starting to see it a little bit already. I know if you're familiar with, they operate as a DFS site, it's called monkey knife fight. Um, oh yeah. yeah. I, all it is, is props and they make it very right. clear that they're prop contests. They are not prop bets. And that's how they get away with it. Right. So it's DFS. So yeah, what's the difference between a prop contest and a prop bet? That's kind of what I'm asking, actually. <laughs> nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, 
what? how they set it up is I, I guess it's it's is it's the exact same. It's just an over under. They'll give you a total and like any other prop, Aaron Jones, 125 yards, is he gonna go over or under? And that's a prop contest because it's on a DFS site. I I don't know. I couldn't tell you why that's the case. Um yeah, I guess I don't Yeah, the line's probably yeah, the lines probably blur. I mean, who knows? They could be probably pushing the envelope. And, um, you know, a lot of this in general, like this entire industry is pushing envelopes, seeing what you can kind of get away with, seeing what you can't, and then recalibrating as appropriate, right? I mean, that's essentially what DraftKings and FanDuel did way back in the early days. They basically said, hey, we're going to do this. Try and stop us. Some regulators did try to stop them. They fought it. They won. And then they went out and got carve-out exemptions, you know, and other places for it. And, you know, that, that just is a lot of it, right? It's just a lot of like, well, we don't feel that, that that pertains to us, that law pertains to us and we're doing it in this way, you know, now it's up to them to try and stop them. Right. You know, and maybe they will, maybe they won't. But I think what's also cool is the, obviously all the regulations are trending in the direction of legalizing regular sports betting. Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning in the monologue, like Zen Sports is going through that licensing application right now for our sports betting app. You know, we do peer-to-peer sports betting um, internationally. We also, um, you know, have market makers and stuff like that. But the interesting thing about it is, you know, some people have come to us and said, hey, well, you're not a traditional bookmaker, so you don't have to get licensed as a bookmaker in the U.S. And, you know, our legal team analyzed it pretty thoroughly and said, no, just even the fact that you're offering an operating platform to do it is enough to put it in that cat into the sports betting, uh, you know, legalization category. So we, we just haven't approached the U.S. market until now. And we are now going through the traditional licensing process that a traditional bookmaker would um, in order to get licensed in the U.S. Um, but yeah, there's always those blurred lines that I think I, I find to be super interesting on the legal side. So yeah, it should be interesting to see like what happens with uh, with Monkey Night Fight or others that try to kind of pass basically prop, player prop bets off as, um, as as daily fantasy sports contests. So so let's talk about some of the analyzing and, and how you do this. So um, you know what you know which sports do you you know really analyze and look at for daily fantasy sports? How much time do you put into it? Um, you know what are your you know kind of processes and how do you go about you know, really analyzing it to, to make it as skill-based um, and as much based on research as possible. Well, the two sports I definitely specialize in are football and basketball. And I would say football is definitely my top sport. And I, I have a different or a more unique way of going about it than most people. Uh, you see a lot of the top DFS players and companies and even just season-long fantasy experts, they use a lot of almost exclusively data. Uh, they just take a data-driven approach. They have algorithms, equations. Uh, it's just they only look at the stats, and that's fine, and a lot of people have a lot of success with that, and I certainly have a large portion of my process in that. But I also come from the background of a player and a coach, and a big part of what I do is I watch a lot of coaches film from all 16 or however many NFL games there were that week. And I take a lot of, I put a lot of emphasis on those one-on-one matchups on the actual 
game scouting for the next week. And I I find I personally have a lot of success in that where I project the game plan or project the game script for a specific team for that week. So last week, a lot of wind, a lot of weather. It was clear in certain cases there was going to be a lot of running. We saw it with Packers Vikings. We saw it with Cleveland versus Vegas. Uh, and that's just not something that data, past data can give you. And that's my current process. I put more weight on the actual analysis, X's and O's analysis versus simple data and equations. And it's a lot of time. Uh, I do like to watch every single game from every week. And obviously that doesn't mean a three and a half hour block for each game. You can get through a game in 30, 40 minutes. Once you take the commercials out and the cuts between plays, which is kind of sad, but it's it's the truth. <laughs> but um, I, I spend yeah. There's really only actually about 45 minutes of real football action. You know, yeah. when you think about it in a three-hour podcast, right? It's yeah. Once you watch it like that, it's crazy. It's like, oh, okay. There's one play, and then there's 40 seconds between the play until the next one, and it really trims yeah. down quickly after that. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, even just like if, if you watch games on NFL Network where they will cut all that stuff out in between, right? And they mm-hmm. seriously fit an entire game into an hour broadcast with probably, what, 15 to 20 minutes of commercials in it. So you're watching 40 to 45 minutes of actual football. Yeah. Completely completely changes everything. It's like everything's in hurry-up offense. It's completely different experience to watch. Yeah, and I, I think the thing is, is like with football, because it is such a rough sport, right? I mean, you've got to have that time off in between plays. I mean, that's why we obviously have the play clock of, what, 40 seconds um, to be able to give players a chance to breathe because they are going so all out, mm-hmm. you know, in between each play. And unlike hockey, where they can constantly be changing lines, because hockey players are only out there for, what, minute and a half, two minutes uh, between line changes, whatever it is. It's something really short, but they're constantly rotating, like, lines they've got four usually four lines uh, that they rotate in but you can't do that in football so you got to have the break and breathers in between otherwise i don't i just don't think it would i mean people would be players would be passed out <laughs> on the on the field uh it probably wouldn't be a probably wouldn't be a good look uh, so, uh anyway so so that's pretty cool so we've had some prior guests on the pod that have talked about data when it comes to sports betting and how they analyze things so it sounds like you kind of use a combination of both data research algorithms, but also just kind of watching coaches film, uh, coaching film. Um, so if you were to kind of like provide advice for those out there that are interested in getting into, you know, being serious daily fantasy sports players, uh, is that the approach you would you know give to them? Like what, what would you give to somebody who's understands daily fantasy, has done some daily fantasy sports uh, contests? but is really kind of looking to go from being a novice to being much more of a, I don't go so far as to saying professional, but you know, they, they want to, they want to be able to win more than they lose and, and tr- start getting in, into more of the skill-based category. Uh, yeah. I, I just truly believe context matters and you know, that goes far beyond daily fantasy sports, but uh, you look at a player like, let's say Blake Bortles a couple years ago, or even better, Jameis Winston last year. There was a lot of garbage time in those Tampa Bay Buccaneers games, and Jameis Winston was putting up 400 yards per game. That doesn't matter for fantasy. I mean, stats are stats, and that's good. 
but if there's going to be a game where it looks like a super easy matchup for Tampa Bay, you would, if you just looked at data, then you would assume he would pass for 500. But if the game's closer, he's probably going to pass for less just because of that's the way the game script goes. Uh, Buccaneers may actually get to run the ball because the game's close. So that's, that's just where context matters, where stats come from, when they come, and just the overall sport IQ for that given sport. I think it's very important. And just projecting any kind of game for either sports betting, for fantasy sports, I just don't think that can be overstated at all. Uh, it's more than just this team's power ranked here and there. It's really how does this team's strength match up with that team's strength or weakness and where are the areas that they can exploit. If you know where they're going to exploit those areas, then those probably are good fantasy plays. Right. And, you know, if it, it I, I don't know, if a, a team – you know, uh, has a history of falling behind um, or whatnot, and they're going to be playing catch-up, you know that they're probably going to be passing the ball more. Obviously, you know, weather's factor, you know, so like the game at Lambeau Field, which was extremely windy, um, <clears throat> they're going to be running the ball more. Um, and I guess, yeah, player tendencies, coaching tendencies even, mm-hmm. um, definitely factor in that. Now, with traditional sports betting, a lot of times, Sports betters will look at like referees as well too. Do you have to worry about any of that kind of thing uh, when it comes to uh, daily fantasy? A little bit. And that really gets into another layer of complexity with this. But yeah, if there's going to be a crew that calls more pass interferences than any crew that they've seen all season long, that hurts, you know, the defense, obviously, but that hurts wide receivers that are solely deep threats as well because they may burn the corner and, you know, they get held so they can't make the play. It's a positive play for the team. So that would be a positive for sports betting, but it would not be a positive for fantasy sports because they didn't get those stats. So stuff like that, definitely you need to take it into account. Um, I don't think uh, there should be a, a large weight put on that, but I I do think it's something that shouldn't be ignored where most people do ignore it. Yeah. Because like, let's say you've got Devonte Adams on your fantasy uh, in your fantasy lineup and the corners are just say theoretically really bad that he's going up against and they might, you know, pass interfere or hold or whatnot. And those yards end up getting counted as penalty yards versus yards for Adams. Um, then that obviously hurts, right? Yeah. And you see it happen all the time. I can't even imagine how many more yards Tyreek Hill would have for the Kansas City Chiefs if he wasn't held. Uh, just players that are clearly more athletic and faster than their individual matchup. The only way they can get slowed down is by getting held, and it happens right. quite a bit. Yeah, that makes sense. That's really interesting. Um, that, I think, a little bit comes down to just the way the NFL classifies like stats. I get that they can't give it to the player to some degree, but it is a little weird. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. It feels like if you drew the penalty for, I don't know, 27 yards, that that should counter, I mean, should counters your receiving yards. I guess they have a separate category of like penalty yards drawn type of thing. You know, how many yards did they draw from a penalty? But that doesn't obviously count towards the stats. Um, yeah, I think 
it, it's it's a very very quick side note because um, this happened to Rodgers a couple weeks ago in the game against Tampa. I think balls that bounce off receivers' hands that get intercepted should not count as an interception, or there should be an earned interception type category mm-hmm. um, for stuff like that. I just I do think some of this the way stats are done in the NFL are a little bit old school um, and should be revisited, uh, and this might be one of them, especially because. When the rules were put in place, there was no daily fantasy sports. So, you know, they weren't thinking about that. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and, and actually that, that might be a good thing to touch on. And we, we should talk about this is, you know, as sports betting becomes more and more legalized and the leagues are not just like uh, turning a blind eye to it, but actually embracing it and taking on these big sports betting platforms as title sponsors and talking about them on the broadcast and having their logos, you know, um, all over the field and the stands and everything like that. And they're embracing it because they know it drives engagement and gets people excited to watch the games. I mean, you know, just, just things like that, that, that have to be, um, you know, ironed out. For example, they changed the rule. Uh, was it last year or the year before? Whereas if you scored, you know, if you, it's always been this way where if you scored the winning touchdown in overtime, you didn't go for, you didn't kick the extra point or be able to go for two. But in, if you scored the winning touchdown as time expired in regulation, you would. But then they got rid of that a couple of years ago, and that can obviously drastically impact point spreads and over-unders. And I, I think the rule is right to be changed um, because, I mean, if the game's over, you shouldn't have to kick it or, you know, the teams would just kneel down anyways on it. Mm-hmm. But it's just stuff like that that, you know, you know, now is the league start to embrace betting and, of course, daily fantasy, um, you know, they should be taking those kinds of things into account, no? They should. I guess I'm not exactly sure how they would adjust the actual game for it. Obviously, fan experience is going to be uh, raised exponentially. There's going to be uh, commentators talking about it. It's going to be all over the screen. I would assume there's going to be a live betting line directly on the broadcast for them to look at the entire time, which would be awesome. And that's going to drive a lot more revenue. In terms of how the actual game is affected. Uh, there's a chance, I suppose, that that would also impact their willingness to change the kickoff because they desperately uh, want to get rid of kickoffs altogether just because of injury concerns and stuff like that. But like we saw with the XFL, they adjusted their kickoffs where it's the offense going back on the field and getting a chance to continue with the ball on like a fourth and whatever, I think like a fourth and 20 or something, if they convert it, they keep going. That's going to raise points. It's going to be more exciting for betting. I suppose there's a chance something like that happens or similarly right after a touchdown XFL head, you could go for one, two or three, I believe, depending on the distance. I could see a change Mm -hmm. like that happening also just because of betting and because a lot of people believe more points equals more fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would assume something changes. I'm not sure what they would be doing, though. Yeah, um, I, I, I think more or less it's maybe it's a, it's a couple things. It's one, like you talked about, the broadcasters just acknowledging it's there, right? They don't ever talk about that stuff right now in broadcast. And I think it's it's lame, right? I mean, we all know it's happening. We all know it's going on. Like, I mean, I mean, there's no reason to ignore the elephant in the room. Um, you know, maybe they don't, they don't have to talk about every second, 
But and yet every once in a while, you'll you'll see like a rogue broadcaster slip something in, <laughs> yeah. um, especially maybe towards the end of the game or something. Um, I think Collinsworth might do it from time to time um, on some of the Sunday night broadcasts. But anyways, like the fact that they don't mention it all, I think doesn't make sense. Um, so even if they don't change rules, just maybe saying, wow, that, you know, that uh, meaningless field goal, you know, resulted in a backdoor cover, you know, for those of you that are out there betting or have a sideline reporter that, you know, they go to you know, in the, in the fourth quarter or something that brings it up. Um, I think that's the type of thing that, you know, probably should start to happen because people care about that. And it's actually something fun to talk about too. I mean, mm-hmm. ESPN has their, what bad beats of the week uh, that they do um, every week, right. The top 10 bad beats where they show like these, you know, really crazy bad last second backdoor covers and stuff like that. Um, I think the, the networks could acknowledge that that happens. Well, the networks could, but also even the leagues. Um, you know, if they're going to be taking money from DraftKings, if they're going to be, you know, getting sports betting in their arenas and their stadiums, why not? Um, just you know, just forget forget treating it as like this ugly redheaded stepchild over here, and right. just you know, talk about it from time to time in the broadcast. Yeah, I it has to happen at some point. To your point, Collinsworth, I think, does do it. I believe Tony Romo throws it in every once in a while. It It's only right. going to continue to pick up. I think just last night, a couple more states uh, voted to legalize sports betting. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's coming very soon. And that's the easiest thing to implement into game day for sure. Yeah, exactly. Or pre-game broadcast or post-game broadcast or any of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um so then let me ask you this, since you touch on both daily fantasy and sports betting, how, how would you say the breakdown is in terms of your time spent on each? I mean, is it like 50-50 or 60-40? What does that look like? Because I do want to ask a couple follow-up questions on the sports betting piece as well. I would tie daily fantasy in with season long. So if, if just because I, it's the same exact research for me. So in terms of that, I would say it's probably 70-30 fantasy versus sports betting. But again, there's so much overlap. It's I'm watching game film for fantasy to evaluate individual matchups, but I'm also using that game film to find weaknesses where I think team A can change one or two things to beat team B this week where maybe the public betting or public bettors aren't taking that into account. And I think that's what's going to happen. So yeah, I'd say it's like a 70-30 split. Yeah. And, you know, as we talked about before, I think the interesting thing is, is that there's definitely a lot of overlap between daily fantasy sports contests and player prop bets, right? I mean, that's, that seems like the most obvious overlap that you could easily apply a lot of, um, you know, what you're studying and learning and analyzing on the daily fantasy sports side Mm -hmm. and applying that to player prop bets, even if it's maybe a little bit more challenging to apply it to team uh, traditional bets. It feels like that definitely has some overlap. It's, yeah, it's easy overlap. Um, That's where, that's definitely the areas I like to attack for betting the most. I definitely do game lines and stuff like that, but I love props and sports books all over are implementing much more props and letting you uh, parlay them or even adjust the prop lines. So uh, they adjust the odds where you think, uh, the player is going to have a certain amount of yards or something like that, or you can select the amount of touchdowns you think that they're going to score. 
and the odds will automatically adjust. I love that as someone who started out in fantasy and DFS and then picked up betting. It's the exact same skill set to me. Right. No, that makes sense. And do you think one of the benefits, well, there's, it definitely feels like one of the benefits with daily fantasy sports is obviously it's peer to peer. And that's similar to like what we do for Zen sports on the sports betting side. Um, you can definitely gain an advantage if you do your research and, and it's skill-based, right? I mean, I consider sports betting to be skill-based, not just daily fantasy sports. Um, but do you also feel like on the player prop side when betting with bookmakers that they have a harder time pricing some of those odds, um, you know, appropriately just because, you know, it is a different kind of betting than, uh, you know, what the point spread or over-under is going to be. So do you feel like there's opportunities um, not just because of your knowledge and research, but just because um, on the player prop side, it's hard for bookmakers to necessarily always price what those odds should be. Uh, absolutely, especially early in the week. If you wait, if you wait till the end of the week, then you you're taking where the sports books adjusted it to, and uh, you're right. certainly putting yourself at a disadvantage. But if you get in there Monday, Tuesday morning, and look at uh, where Tom Brady's passing yards are set at. Uh, you have a pretty good shot at being able to see if they're, and a lot of times they come in low for a lot of these players as well. Uh, but yeah, for sure. Uh, sports books certainly haven't uh, mastered that yet. Whereas points and spreads and all that, it seems like they bullseye it pretty much every week. Yeah. It's pretty crazy actually how, how accurate they are on that. And that, I think, will change over time as they get more accurate information. We've done quite a few podcasts where we've talked about data and just the efficiency of data. And it's a huge problem in the sports industry in general and sports betting industry where it really it's just difficult to, you know, get accurate data at all times. And especially, you know, we haven't talked about in-game betting, but, you know, getting in-game odds on things is just it's hard. Um, because, you know, it's just, it, it just can't move quickly enough. It's not like trading in the stock market where, you know, those, those markets are very, very, very efficient. Um, with sports, they're not. Um, that's why I do think the peer-to-peer aspect, especially with in-game betting, can be pretty, pretty efficient because it's going to come directly from people that want to bet on something. Um, but then, of course, you need a large sample size and data set uh, to be able to do that. Um, that's interesting. So we are hopefully going to get this pot out tomorrow. Uh, what are your top one or two picks, um, both for DFS this upcoming Sunday? Uh, we'll, we'll stick to football, obviously. Uh, for DFS this upcoming Sunday and for sports betting. Uh, I mean, one of the games that I was targeting, and we'll see if it happens now, was Vikings-Lions. Matthew Stafford apparently put on the COVID list today, uh, later today. So if you know, if he's not playing, I would be very surprised if they don't postpone that game. But uh, assuming that game goes and he gets cleared, whatever, I think Dalvin Cook keeps it going. I really like him to run all over Detroit in a similar fashion to what he did last week against the Packers. Detroit's run defense is just as bad, if not worse. Uh, their corners aren't very good as well, so uh, they have to respect the Vikings wide receivers. Uh, in a similar way that the Packers had to. They just back people up, and there's a gaping hole in the middle of the defense. So I think Vikings can cover in that game. Depending on where the line uh, comes back live to, if, I think it was at Vikings favored by 3.5 at home before it was taken down 
uh, prior to the Stafford news, but we'll see when that comes back, I suppose. Uh, another area or another game to, that I really like is Steelers go to Dallas this week. We know Dallas is a complete mess. There's talks that they may activate a practice squad quarterback to start this week. And I think a big reason for that is because they know whoever they throw out there is going to get killed. Uh, Dallas's tackles are certainly the weak point of their offense. And the Steelers have the best front seven in football. They blitz more than anybody else. They're going to bring the heat. They're going to, I, I truly believe, I said this earlier today, I don't think it's far-fetched to say this, that the Steelers get eight sacks in this game. And if they're getting to the quarterback that often, there's going to be turnovers. There's going to be defensive scores. Steelers currently favored by 14. I think that's in play. I think the under is in play just because I don't see the Cowboys scoring much more than nine points. I don't know how they get to double digits unless it's garbage time. Um, in terms of Steelers plays in that game, I think. Ben Roethlisberger has a good game. I think James Conner finds the end zone at least once. I certainly like a two-touchdown prop bet on him. Uh, there's just a lot to like in that game on Pittsburgh's side and certainly not on Dallas's side. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's that sounds that sounds like a, a winner. Now, um, with the entire 49ers roster, uh, it sounds like going to be out this week. Uh against the Packers, or tomorrow, I should say. Um, I don't know what the line has moved to on that. Uh, it started out originally as Packers minus three, but it's got to have moved uh, since then. Do you know if it's if it's moved? I'm sure it has. Uh, last I saw was six, I believe. So it's moved okay. a few points, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, so it started out minus three, and then after the news that Kittle and Garoppolo weren't playing, it, it, yeah, it had to move. I actually, I, I actually think that would be a great play. I mean, obviously, certainly a little bias there, but um, I mean, the Niners without Garoppolo are awful. I mean, you saw what happened to them, even even in San Francisco or in Santa Clara. I mean, they got demolished by the Dolphins um, by Ryan Fitzpatrick when they had uh, their backup in. And I just, uh, oh no, that was actually Garoppolo. But okay, so but even with uh, with uh, Beathard, I thought they I definitely know that they lost pretty handily to a couple of teams. But anyways, yeah, I could see I could see that being a, a pretty good play too. Um, that's awesome. So on the fantasy side, you know, you obviously got your traditional studs of, you know, on the quarterback side, Mahomes and Wilson and Roethlisberger. Um, and then, you know, the on the running back side, um, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, if Aaron Jones plays, which he's probably not going to this week, um, you know, he would obviously be a big play. Um, can you rattle off a few players uh, for Daily Fantasy that you like this week? Sure. Uh, going not necessarily on the top studs, like you said, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, players like that. It seems like, well, one of the biggest dilemmas every single week is who is Russell Wilson going to throw multiple touchdowns to? One week is DK Metcalf, <laughs> next is Tyler Lockett. Uh, it's shaping up to be a Tyler Lockett week, I think. Uh, you can attack the Bills in the slot much, much easier than on the outside. And Tyler Lockett operates mostly in the slot, so I really like him this week. Um, I also like Allen Robinson for the Bears. Allen Robinson has faced two really tough matchups in back-to-back -back weeks, uh, individual matchups. He had to play Jalen Ramsey, and he also had to play Marshawn Lattimore. So really tough individual matchups. 
Uh, Bears play the Titans this week. Titans have the worst pass rush in the entire league, which is why they lost to Cincinnati last week. So if Nick Foles can sit in the pocket and just wait until Allen Robinson gets open, I think it's going to result in a really, really successful day for him and his fantasy owners. So I really like him. Uh, Looking at tight end here, tight end is clearly a wasteland this season. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and on top of that, George Kittle got hurt, so now Gronk. he's not playing. Gronk, yeah. yeah it's Gronk. <laughs> Gronk. Honestly, he's resurrected the past couple weeks. He's looking good. I don't really get it. I think no matter whoever is ruled the starting tight end for San Francisco tomorrow night, I believe it's going to be Ross Duelli. Certainly not a household name, but I think he is an interesting guy that you'll probably be able to trust. I think it's going to be... Yeah, but do you trust whoever's who's going to be throwing it to him? After? Yes, in the fact that it, it's going to be Mullins, and Mullins doesn't have a very strong arm. So I don't think he's even capable of forcing the ball downfield, which should be a lot of really easy underneath routes to uh, uh, Dwellies, who I'm suspecting. It's not going to be a high yardage game, but especially if you're playing in PPR or something, I think he could mm-hmm. get five to seven catches in the game. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's probably a pretty good play. And obviously, we said the Packers linebackers are not great. <laughs> yeah, so. no kidding. <laughs> tight end, the opposing tight ends always do. It doesn't matter who it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Uh, well, cool. So the last thing I got to wrap up with so we are a big crypto play with Zen Sports. Um, almost all the betting in our app is using cryptocurrencies. And so I'm just kind of curious to get your thoughts. Like, you know, I mean, we have our own thesis uh, as to why this is. And we see it day in and day out with our customers. But just kind of curious, you know, uh, as cryptocurrencies become more mainstream adopted and how that comes in to play with regards to both DFS and uh, sports betting, what are your thoughts on, you know, kind of a crypto sports betting explosion, you know, over the next few years? Uh, I mean, just in general, a crypto explosion is going to most likely happen. It just keeps rising in popularity. So I would assume that should go hand in hand with DFS and sports betting. Uh, I know what you guys are doing. It makes a lot of sense. The only challenge would be, I think, is clearly the most popular sports books and DFS sites in the country are DraftKings and FanDuel. And one of their big things is just really lowering the barrier to entry uh, for new customers, really making it user-friendly, simple. You can deposit money in any way. So with stuff like that, adding crypto would just be another step that I think there's going to be a population that's not willing to make. Uh, if they can, you know, just drop their credit card number or buy a gift card if they want to go that old school way. FanDuel DraftKings both have that option. So that's going to be the only challenge. But if crypto continues to pick up steam and obviously the younger demographic wants to become 18 and are able to bet, they're going to be the most likely ones to adopt crypto and stuff like that in terms of new people adopting it. So I think it's going to grow and be extremely successful, but there's still going to be the existing customer base that are already sports betting, already doing stuff like this, where they may not be pressured to do that. 
Yeah, I think the thing there is, and the reason why crypto will eventually um, supplant uh, fiat is really on the cost and the chargeback side of things. Because mm-hmm. yes, DraftKings, FanDuel, and all those other companies allow you to deposit via credit card and debit card, but those come with higher fees and uh, significantly higher fees compared to crypto. And there's a whole chargeback problem, right? So you deposit $100 with credit card, you lose it, you go back to your bank and say, I didn't make that charge. And uh, before you know it, you know, operators are stuck dealing with that. And so like what we do with Zen Sports, because we take traditional credit cards, debit cards, and, and wire transfers and fiat, is we incentivize people to use crypto if they you know, uh, are, are interested in using it because we save a lot of money and then we can pass those cost savings to the customers in the form of bonuses, rewards, et cetera, right? And so, and, and so the, the only person or persons missing out and, and losing out are the credit card companies and we, of course, don't care about them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, so I think that's really kind of the, the, uh, the approach where it's going to happen. Yeah, I, you know, I get it, you know, why would a consumer do it? But the other part of this too that I think is really interesting that a lot, especially Americans, because um, crypto is still, I think, synonymous with Bitcoin here in the U.S., Mm-hmm. is Americans recognizing that there are stable coins uh, that are tied to the U.S. dollar. There are stable cryptocurrency uh, U.S. dollar versions of crypto that don't fluctuate in value or barely at all. Uh, basically, um, it's, it's equivalent to the dollar and, uh, and can be used to transact in dollars way better and faster and easier and cheaper than, than, than credit cards and debit cards and wires. Uh, so I think that's, I think the other part of it too is that you know, once the educational factor comes in and Americans go, wow, I didn't realize like you, there's a cryptocurrency version of the dollar I can use, then that changes things too, because, you know, they may look at Bitcoin as like too volatile and whatever, but it doesn't have to be Bitcoin. Um, there's other cryptocurrencies that are stable coins that are tied to the dollar that I think are, are pretty, not pretty interesting. They're extremely interesting because then that really does get rid of uh, the whole like need in, in essence for for credit cards or other fiat payments. I think what you're saying, really everything you're saying comes down to education then. As long as you can educate the consumer and stuff like this, why crypto is good, why it's safe, why they should uh, dabble or utilize crypto. I think there's very little reason to not do it once they are educated. But it's just getting the right. word out and stuff like that is obviously essential. Yeah, to and, that's, like this. and that's why we pair the education with incentives, right? I just think trying yeah. to only educate that doesn't work. But if you say, hey, you can get these bonuses or you can get these cash back offers or you can get these other incentives if you use it. Oh, and by the way, here's how it works and it's really easy and blah, blah, blah. That Those two go hand in hand. Yeah, if you just try to say, I'll teach you crypto and people are like, nah, I'm fine. But if you give them money to do it or incentives... Then they're like, okay, I'll listen and hear, hear what you have to say. And then before you know it, they you know, buy into it and they, they agree with that. So, yeah, I mean, definitely it'll take time. Um, the international markets, I think, are much further along than the U.S. market in terms of crypto adoption. Mm-hmm. But it's getting there here, too, which is, which is awesome. Um, yeah. So, Zach, this was a, a super awesome podcast. Uh, we're going to wrap things up here, let you get back to the cold, frigid <laughs> weather in Wisconsin. And I'm going to get back to the 75 and sunny in L.A., if you don't mind. It was 65 here today, so I... Oh, come on. It no, it's nice. not. The snow has melted I, for now. <laughs> I don't believe you. Well, maybe I do believe you, but... Um, <laughs> it, let, me t- let me say something. 
in about three days, it'll be about half that temperature, okay? hundred <laughs> percent, yeah. I've enjoying it while it lasts. Yes, exactly. Well, this was great, Zach. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, appreciate it. This was, a, this was super informative, great conversation, and uh, have an amazing rest of your week. Awesome. Thank you, Mark.